0: Let's pray together. Father, we come to you this morning and we confess we don't have the power. We don't even have a clue. We don't know all the answers. We don't even know a few. And if we're really honest, and if the truth were known of me, it may sound a little funny, but this is what my prayer would be. I don't know what to do. But my eyes are on you. I don't know what to do, but my eyes are on you, Lord. I lift my eyes toward the heavens. I tune my ear to your command. Help me boast in my condition, Lord. You're the God. I'm the man. Father, that's our prayer this morning as we look at this text, as we look at your word. It's our prayer as we come in the midst of our circumstances that are myriad, different. Some of us feel strong, some of us feel weak. But Father, we know that regardless You are the one we are to look to. You are the one that we put our eyes on right now. So help us to do that by your Holy Spirit. Amen. I like that prayer. It's a song by Jason Upton. I encourage you guys to look him up if you don't know him or haven't listened to his music. But that's a song that's ministered to me for 20 years. And... um, (laughs) Help me boast in my condition, Lord. You are the God and I am the man. What a great phrase. And this morning as we look at this text in Isaiah 40, we come to it in the midst of the whole book of Isaiah. And Donovan briefly introduced this section of Isaiah last week that we've turned a corner in the book. We've gone from confrontation in chapters 1 through 39 to, to comfort Consolation in, in chapters 40 to 66. There's a real switch here, and we have to know that as we read it. We know that the book of Isaiah is prophecy. It's concerning what will happen to rebellious Judah, and they will be in exile in Babylon. That's where they're headed. And chapters 1 through 39 is, have predicted this, but here in 40 through 66, It's actually speaking from the perspective after Babylonian exile. And so there's debate as to who wrote chapters 40 through 66. But I, I do believe we can say that Isaiah is the writer and the inspirer of these chapters. But it's from a perspective that is after they've been in exile. And even maybe parts that are coming at the very end of exile. When the Persian Empire now has taken over Babylon, and if you think about the story of Ezra and Nehemiah, the rebuilding of Jerusalem, this is the time that we're talking about. So it's not exile, but it's not the promised land. It's not exile. They've been through exile. They've been banished from their homeland. They've been taken as slaves and prisoners to Babylon for 70 years. And they're out of that, but they're not in the promised land, the land that was promised to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. They're not there yet. It's not their land. It's still the Persian Empire. And it will never be their land. It's still not their land. Does this sound familiar to you, Christian? That you have experienced deliverance from exile, but you are not home. You are not home. You're still messed up. You're still a hot mess. You're still lusting. You're still wanting the things that destroy you. Your marriage is not good. good. Your children do not listen. Amen. <laughs> you are, you are weak. All of you. All of you. Me. I'm weak. This passage is w- written to weak people. The Bible is written to weak people. Jesus came to weak people. Jesus became weak. At this point, the Jews have questions. Where is God now? What is Israel's place in this world? Has God forgotten us? Why is it still so hard? Look at verse 27. Why do you say, O Jacob, and speak, O Israel, My way is hidden from the Lord. My right is disregarded by my God. Listen to this. My way is hidden from the Lord. This is his people. This is not the Babylonians talking, this is the Jews. My way is hidden from the one who has delivered me from exile. The one who came and showed himself to me when my life was at the end and redeemed me. And I know he did. But Lord, where are you? Where have you been the last five years? This isn't like what I heard on kick or on, on, on 89.9 or whatever the, the Christian radio station is. I don't listen to it. Thank the Lord. My life doesn't look like that. It's not positive, it's not encouraging, and it's not hit. Your life doesn't look like that. Let's be honest. Listen, friends, this is 2020. We don't have time to be liars. Let's be honest. Honest. Our lives are not what we want them to be. There are hints of His grace in our life, but they are not what we dream about. They're not. The Lord is here to tell you that, and there is great comfort in that. Don't be mistaken. This is not the end of the world. There is great comfort in the message to you that your life is not what it should be. This is the Lord's message to Israel and Judah. So what's our response to this revelation that our lives aren't what they should be? If it were up to me, things would not be this way. Things would lighten up a bit. (laughs) 2020, I need a lunch break. God would take care of things once and for all with a magic button. Because this is the best way to do it. Just take care of it. Take care of it, Lord, right now. It's the best way, in my opinion. But if things don't go that way, according to my plan, how do I think about God? What do I start to think about God? How do I think of Him? I I might even get angry at God. You know, somebody was telling me recently they were in a support group and somebody was like, well, I'm not angry at God. I, I'm, I'm just angry at my life or just angry at my circumstances. Or, I, I would never be angry at God. And because this guy is honest, he's like, man, I wish they would have just said they're angry at God. I've done that a lot of times. I'm like, well, I wouldn't be angry at God. Yes, I would. If things aren't going my way, who's in control? It's not me. I know I'm not in control. God is the one at fault in my mind. And so if I can't trust God, I'm going to force control. I'm going to take control myself. I'm going to force my way onto my life because that is what I have to do. Uh, Some of you have known some of my circumstances recently, and and so a lot of you have difficult circumstances. We overlap in our lives, it's the way it should be. When some part of the body hurts, we hurt with them. When we hurt, others hurt with us. So there's overlap, but I'm gonna go through a list of things, because this, again, is 2020. Everybody knows that 2020's been hard. But let's bring this to a personal level. I, I remember it, towards the beginning of 2020, uh, this thing called lock, or, uh, COVID came into play, and we've all experienced the, the, the joy of COVID and the lockdown and all of that goes with that. But then, as many of you know in this body, our dear sister Karen passed away. That's hard. Right? A lot of us prayed for her. Some of us shared sweet moments with her. And she's not here anymore. Matt knows that more than all of us. And it was still COVID after that. COVID has not gone away. Then there were a string of family issues for me and personal things for me and my family. And that's not easy to deal with things that are newer and harder to deal with, things that I hadn't dealt with before. And then our sister, Hallie, passed away, suddenly. That hurts, even if you don't kn- didn't know her well, or Corey and Candace it still hurts if you're a body. And if you did know them well, it hurts even more. These things weigh on us. Most of all, on the craft family, and we remember you, we remember you. These are hard things. Well, all these things still are hard, by the way, but new things have come as well. It's still COVID. There's still new things going on with that. And then we have a preterm baby at 29 weeks, and my wife, Steph, was, had preeclampsia, and we go in the hospital at the end of July. We have not left that hospital um, since the end of July. We've been there every day. At least Stephanie has. That's still going on. Thank the Lord. Our daughter's healthy, Steph is healthy, but these are trying things, it it influences your life, it makes you think, it challenges your rhythms, makes you question why, God, can't this be a little easier? Well then, as we all know, the derecho came, and everybody is affected by that that's in Cedar Rapids, and we feel that. There's a lot of weight to that, for some of you have lost a home, some of you have lost other things. Money, time, busyness, stress. I had to cancel a vacation. Well, we still have the COVID going on, and there's always new things with that in the midst of all these things. And then my son James broke his arm (laughs) on Monday. You, You know, these aren't huge things, but they pile up, don't they? Do you ever feel that? They just pile up. What's next? What's next? There will always be something. And it can seem like these negative events in our lives are stronger than everything else. They seem to overshadow everything. Like, there's nothing that's going to get us through that, or there's nothing that's going to prevent something even worse from happening. They just overshadow your life. And you start to think to yourself, is God really that great? See, the, God diminishes in our eyes in the midst of challenges. He gets smaller. He gets smaller to us. Our view of God shrinks in the midst of difficulties, oftentimes. But in this passage, there's a question, who is God? What is he really like? Is he like us? Is he like us? And the answer here, especially in verses 12 through 14 is, no one is like Yahweh. No one is like Yahweh. He is mighty. And it starts out, who has measured the waters in the hollow of his hand? and marked off the heavens with a span, and closed the dust of the earth in a measure, and weighed the mountains in scales and the hills in a balance. In other words, who is the creator? Who is the former of all things, the sustainer of all things? Who is that? There's the the question being asked, who? And the implied answer is, no one on earth. No one else but him. No one is like Yahweh. And this truth, it's very simple, but but it's like our children. These simple truths have to be understood. They have to be understood. Even though they're simple and we say them, they have to settle into our soul. They have to percolate in there. And here's, here's why. In this context, the Jews had been hearing a lot of Babylonian mythology. They'd, they'd, they'd been in Babylon. And, and the gods of Babylon, and think about this, they're surrounded by this. It's not like they're surrounded by churches. They're surrounded by hearing the, the words and the ideologies of Babylon. And in Babylon, they had gods. They had like a pantheon of, of gods. And these gods were not all-powerful. They needed help. They needed intervention from humans at times. They're not like Yahweh. They were weak in some ways. People had to help them. And God is saying, and he's reminding his people, I'm not like them. And this passage is actually directly addressing those gods by saying what Yahweh is. It's the opposite of what they are. They aren't him. You might think of Yahweh, you might have started to think of Yahweh like that, but let me remind you, I'm not that way. And we today are not any different because we hear from our own hearts and from the culture, American Eagle right there, we hear from them, God is like you. You are like God. This is what we hear. And we hear it and we say, at first, that sounds kind of nice. I can relate to that. I can understand that. But it comes back to bite you in the end because you know your limits. And when you worship something like yourself, it leads one place. It leads to death. It leads to discouragement. It leads to doubt. It leads to disillusionment. It leads to anger. It leads to hate. It leads to racism. It leads to all sorts of things. We still need to hear this word that Yahweh is not like us. See, we fashion idols in our likeness, and we have no concept for an absolute authority. And these words in the midst of that can stick out as kind of pompous, as kind of prideful, as boastful. Like, who is God to say that He's so great, that He's so powerful? especially in the midst of my hardship? Why is he talking to me like this? It's like my four-year-old when I say, you need to do this, and he says, well, why? In other words, he's saying, I'm the one in control, so prove to me why I should let you, Dad, take control of my life for this moment. It's a very sophisticated way to think. And God answers with this, Because I can. It's not a popular way to teach or to parent these days. But this is the way initially, initially, God is speaking to his people. He's saying, because I can. Why, God, why have you disregarded my way? Where are you? Who are you to say that you can help me? You don't even care about me. It reminds me of Job, when Job comes to God. And Job complains, in a sense, before God. Job was a righteous man, but he complained before the Lord because he too had problems. He too was messed up. And the Lord comes in three chapters, 38 to 41. I guess that's four chapters. (laughs) I'm weak. And he comes to him and he says a litany of things. Basically, verses 12 through 14, in four chapters of, who, where were you, Job? Who darkens me, my counsel, without wisdom? You know, who, who's coming to me with these complaints? Job, let me tell you who you are. This is a quote by, by Leslie Newbegin about the idea of God and his plan and how it comes to us, and he says this, the gospel undermines our questions with a question that comes to us from the mystery we thought to explore. It's a voice as piercing and shattering as the voice that spoke to Job out of the whirlwind. It exposes our false pretensions. We are not honest and open-minded explorers of reality. We are alienated from reality because we have made ourselves the center of the universe. So back to my four-year-old, why can I tell him what to do? Why can I tell him who he is? Because I alone am his father. I alone have contributed to his DNA. I alone dictate what he will look like, what he will sound like, even if I'm a terrible father. I alone have that authority in his life. And God says, as creator, he comes to you and he says, I have the authority, child. And in an ideal world, fathers love their children. And we know there's this this special interplay of the power and the love of God in our life. But right now, in the beginning of this passage, we need to hear the firm voice that says, I am mighty and you are not. But what do we do in response? Well, our peril is that out of the vastness of the unplumbed mystery, we summon up images that are the creation of our own minds. The human heart, as Calvin said, is a factory of idols. That's Leslie Newbegin again saying, our peril is that we will create images to replace God because we cannot receive him for who he is. Romans chapter one explains this. The wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness. He comes, he reveals that. He, he says, what can be known about God? It's plain to us because God's shown it. His invisible attributes, his eternal power, his divine nature, it's been clearly perceived. So all men are without excuse. And claiming to be wise, they became fools. They exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man. And so we see that there's this response that we have to this God that comes to us and we reject him. And we create our own images after our own selves. And we think we are like Yahweh. We are not, but we think we are. We take ourselves so seriously. Don't you ever feel this? Like, oh my goodness, I'm taking myself a little seriously here. You ever get angry and really lash out at somebody? Well, maybe you don't, but I do. And after I've said something, I'm like, oh my gosh. That's what I really feel. I really feel like I deserve everything and that everybody's just a little bit worse than me. This is my heart we take ourselves so seriously and it's the it's the default mode of our whole society guys we take the place of god sorting out the world's problems in the ways that we know how however the problem is bigger than we think it's bigger than we imagine and so the power needed to address that problem is greater than we can think we have made the problem small so then our solution is small our power needed is little. We don't need a lot of power to solve the problems that we think, but the problem is bigger. We see this sometimes even in our culture as we look around and there's so many issues with race relations right now and we hear this, we hear that, we hear this is the solution, that's the solution, and the central problem is simply that we we just lack knowledge and we lack experience with each other. So let's educate And listen, I love education. I've been part of education programs. But listen, is it enough? Is this the real problem? Let's diversify our schools. Diversify the workforce. Let's just move into a neighborhood that looks different than us. Listen, I've done this. We're doing this right now. This is not a bad thing to do. These are not bad things to do. But anyone who's tried this, who's honest, can tell you It doesn't solve the problem. The problem is bigger than we imagined. The problem is our hearts. The problem is our sin and the myriad ways it manifests, and it starts with us. You see, we push God to the margins and we subject Him to our best ideas. We subject Him. You know, we also hear things like Iowa strong, Cedar Rapids strong after the derecho. Listen, guys, I get the point. We want to team up. We want to encourage each other. We want to get things done because we're Iowans. We're Iwegian. You know, you can always tell a Norwegian, but you can't tell him much. We are strong. We're Iowa strong, and I get it, but listen, we're not strong. Our better hashtag would be Iowa destroyed. <laughs> Iowa, I can't even pick up the sticks off my lawn. <laughs> Iowa, the city is still going to take four months to pick up the trees on my curb. That's how strong we are. Iowa, we had to hire a team from Wisconsin, props to Wisconsin, to pick up all our crap. So, guys, what are we truly like? What are we truly like? Something less than God. This is really deep, complicated stuff. (laughs) What are we like? Something less than God. See, here's here's what God's saying don't equate yourself with me, don't equate yourself with who I am. God says the nations are less than nothing. They're like the dust on a piece of fruit that's being weighed in the marketplace. Who's weighing the dust? Are they calibrating for dust? (laughs) On the scales, they got a dust calibration? They don't care about the dust. They assume fruit has dust on it. That's what the nations are like. They're like the dust on a piece of fruit at the marketplace, being weighed to know how much it costs. It's inconsequential. The nations... The nations, especially Liechtenstein (laughs) and Swaziland, they're like, they're nothing, right? No man can boast before God. Listen to this from 1 Corinthians. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even the things that are not, to bring to nothing things that are. So that, there's a purpose to that. He did this for a purpose. So that no human being might boast in his presence. He didn't do it so that Hallmark could have a really fuzzy feeling movie about the little guy winning. So that we can feel better about ourselves. God did this. He created lowly things so that we can't boast He alone is worthy. And this is good. This is comforting to us. It's not a power play by God. Listen to what he shows us. The solution to our blind pride, the solution to all these things we've seen about ourselves, he sends his son, he sends Jesus in the likeness of human flesh, and he sends him as one who is full of might and wisdom as a man. And he gives it to you. He he lives a wise life, a powerful life in your stead. Listen to this again from 1 Corinthians. For consider your calling, brothers. Not many of you were wise according to worldly standards. Not many were powerful. Not many were noble birth. But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not, to bring to nothing things that are, so that no human being might boast, like we read. And because of him, you are in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God, righteousness, and sanctification and redemption, so that what is written would be, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. And Paul goes on to say, I didn't come to you, brothers, in anything fancy, with lofty speech or wisdom, I decided to know nothing except this Jesus and Him crucified. So God sends the Son and He comes and He lives this life for us. And then He, he not only lives this life of righteousness and becomes to us wisdom, but He also, in His, in his obedience, he, he pardons our pride at the cross in His own death. So he lives a life for us and he dies a death for us. Jesus has come. He has washed us. He has purified us at the cross. He has taken all of our pompous pride upon himself and he has borne the wrath of God towards that. And he has given us righteousness. Remember the words in verse, in verse 29 of this passage. He gives power to the faint. How does he do that? And to him who has no might, he increases strength. How does our great God do this? It's not like he's over there and we're over here and there's got to be a little transfer of power, so he gives a little bit to us and we're like, thanks God, now we're good to go. You've given us a little bit of power. Now I can get through life and you're over there still and I'm over here and now I can please you because you did this power transfer You downloaded to me some power because I was so tired and weak because I didn't have internet. And, And so you gave me power to get through it. Guys, this is how we think about the gospel. We think about it like some divine magic button that God pushes and all of a sudden our power bank is filled up. He, the one who created, became as creation and died a death for you. He took on your pompous pride. He took on all of your frailty, all of it, and he he took it and he endured it, and he endured the wrath of of God for that, and he, he, he gives it to you in him. He comes to you not as one over here, but as one with you, and he gives it to you. Revelation of this gospel is sweet. It transforms us. It takes us from our critical state and it makes us grateful. It makes us gracious. So Yahweh shows us who He is and He shows us who we are. That He's strong, that we are weak. And it's in this place of weakness and revelation of your weakness. As He comes to you, He whispers this to you and He shows you. It's in this place that He comes with His might. And if you're a believer and you've received this gospel that we briefly mentioned here, if you receive that, you've seen it, and you're still in this place of, like I said, you're not in exile, but you're not in the promised land. You're in the in-between, and, the, and this passage says to you, wait, wait. You wait for what, God? Wait for the gospel. I already have the gospel. I'm a believer. I've said I followed you. Wait for the gospel. Well, God, that's law. You're telling me to wait. I don't know how to wait. That's the problem. Well, here's the gospel. God gives power to the faint. He gives you power in the midst of your weakness. And it's not waiting for the download to come in. It's a waiting of intimacy. It's a waiting in, in relationship. It's a petitioning. It's a calling out. It's a crying out like the psalmist all the time. It's a, it's a saying, Lord, I'm here. Do you hear me? Do you, have you disregarded me? And he says, perfect. Let me answer that. Let me answer the cry of my child. Because you know what? Children don't say Thank you, Lord, I'm so great. Children say, where are you, Father? I have a dad. Where is he? That's the voice of a child. That's the voice of a child. It's the voice of a lot of your children after the service today. (laughs) Running down the hall. Where's my dad? That's that's the voice of children. Mom! Mom! Dad, where are you? They wake up with a nightmare in the night. What do they scream out? Dad! They don't scream out, Father, thank you for sleeping in your bed and watching over me every day. I thank you for that so much. I was very scared by that dream last night. (laughs) Let's get honest. The voice of God's children cry out, Where are you? And he meets you there in intimate might. The intimate might, the intimacy, the intimacy of God. It's his intimate might. He comes to you in that place. So how do we wait for him? Because it says to wait, right? In verse 31, they that wait for the Lord, he shall renew their strength. Wait in prayer, cry out to him. By grace, shut up. I tell my kids not to say shut up. But I say a lot of things I tell them not to say. So, (laughs) By grace, be quiet. Say to the Lord, help me boast in my condition. Help me. You're the God. I'm the man. I don't know what to do. I don't even have a clue. This is how you wait. (laughs) This is how you wait. The answer to the world's problems and our own is not more enlightened conversation. Welcome to CNN. Welcome to Fox News. I'm going to tell you what to think. Welcome to the place of prayer. Come, come, you who are weary, come. You will find rest in his presence. So if you are weary over your lack of power to change even your own heart, then you are ripe for the strength of God's might. You are ripe for the refreshing winds of his power in the midst of a stagnant impotence all around and within. You are ripe for his power. Wait for him. When wait in the light of this gospel, he knows your weakness. He knows your frame. He knows his power. He knows both. Nobody else can say that. I can't come to you, friend, and say, I really need help. You can't tell me I understand both God's almighty power and your weakness. You can't do that. You don't know God's power. You don't even know the full weakness of humanity. You still boast in your flesh. No one else knows the power and the weakness except him. Paul says this in 2 Corinthians, "My grace is sufficient for you." This is I mean this is what the Lord said to him. "My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness." What a cliché. What a cliché answer. "My power is made perfect in your weakness." <laughs> but guys, this is the gospel. Do you remember it? Can you hear it? Can it stir in you again when you're angry as all get out? Can this gospel come to you in the midst of your depression? Can this gospel come to you when your loved one will not come back? Can it come? He's crying out, my grace is sufficient. My power is made perfect. And you have future grace because hard things will keep coming. The power of Christ will rest upon you. For the sake of Christ, then, Paul says, "I am content with weakness, insults, hardships, persecutions, calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong." <laughs> Do, you oh, how simple this is, friends! If you're struggling today, if you're, str- if. As you struggle today. Don't forsake verse 27. My way is hidden from the Lord. My right is disregarded by my God. Don't read over that. Speak it. And let him wash you with his might. Let him overwhelm you with his waves. Let him come and And move you to himself. Speak the words. Wait for him. All of God's might that he boasts about is given to you. He gives might and power to the faint. It's meant to be enjoyed in intimacy that's only possible in your weakness. Wait for him. Wait. So as we come now and we take communion and we sing, this is just a little help for you to wait this morning. It's a little bit of a, a way for us to encourage that. But I don't want you to think of it as a time for the people that have made it, who can pray. This is a time for most of us who can't pray. Listen, my prayer life sucks because it's been so hard. When things get hard, I don't pray. Some, my wife does because she's almost like, Yahweh. But <laughs> I don't pray when things get hard. You know what I do? I put my boots on, I strap them up, and I get to work. And God says, what are you doing? Then he sends another calamity like James breaking his arm which was his grandparents fault by the way (laughs) just saying they were he he was at he was at their house but when i heard that my reaction is not well lord help me my reaction was ah another thing so friends when you don't know how to pray which is Oh, it's okay. I'm am like that. It's this this space is made for you. The Lord yearns to hear your voice. So come in this time. Let's pray together now. Father, we thank you for your grace to us, to us, toward us. That you give us grace in the midst of hardship. That you give us grace in giving power to us, empowering us. I pray that this morning as we take of the body and the blood to remember you and your coming and becoming like us in your flesh and in your blood and giving that in death and suffering under the weight of sin. As we remember that, would you remind us that you are like us and yet you are not. You are so powerful and so gracious. Would you remind us of this this morning? Father, I pray that you keep us from the pride of our hearts. Would you silence the flesh this morning in our hearts that cries out to take control Would you speak tenderly over us, and yet, would you speak firmly and clearly? We thank you, Lord. We can come to you. Amen.